Hello, everybody on the internet. So glad you're you're tuning into Vox, the Vox podcast. Um, are you okay? I'm great. Eddie's Justin uh, Niles, Niles, Dials, Dials, Knobs. You kind of combine knobs. And, <laughs> and, uh, and and I gotta say, Mike, uh, which is me, uh, Mike's hurting today. Mm-hmm. Mike's hurting. I got <coughs> see just that right there. Don't edit that out. That's real. That's raw. That's raw. See, we don't we don't record these weeks ahead. Mm-mm. This is on a Friday, and it'll be out on a Monday. Yeah, and and I got to be honest with you, Andy. Um, when it comes to being sick, which is what I am right now, I'm the worst. I'm the worst. Like, I, I'm I'm okay. I've broken bones, and I don't mind it. Uh, I've, I've I've like I had to sew part of my eyelid back on um, after a rugby match, <laughs> and and so they had to just they had this fish hook thing and. Like I've been in some crazy stuff, and I can handle that. I, I really can. I'm okay with like bones and gashes and blood, but if you give me a chest cold, I, I'm I'm a mess. I am a mess, and so I don't know what this is. It's some sort of it's some sort of funky throat virus that has now moved to the chest. My wife had it last week, and of course, you know she. She complains a little bit about it, but but you know she teaches school. She loses her voice. Doesn't matter. She just kind of cranks through. I've been in meltdown mode for a week, for an entire week, <laughs> oh, no. right? And and so the other day she just she just confessed to the sin in her heart <clears throat> of <clears throat> of judging me, of judging me that I'm a wuss. <laughs> now it's irrelevant that she's right, Andy. Yeah, that that is. That is absolutely relevant. Mm-hmm. What is relevant is the critical nature of her heart and the comparing the two of us. Because listen, when this girl, my beloved, when she gets a paper cut, it's over. It's over. It's over. I I hate paper cuts too, though. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. Yeah, no, I'm, I am, I'm actually, Mercedes would say the exact same thing about me. When I'm sick, I am the worst. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. But are we canceling Vox? No way. No way, dude. We're here. We're, We're we in. are here. With phlegm and a voice that's going hoarse. I may not be able to speak Sunday because we're giving it all we got right now. Andy, right now. That's right. You guys get the best first fruits. <clears throat> so uh, a friend of mine, I, I, he he's, said he listened to the podcast. And I said, what do you think? He said, you know, you're really good at half an hour. Hmm. And how many of our podcasts have been at half an hour? <laughs> One, like, the yeah, first one. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and so I didn't know what to do with that piece of feedback other other than just shut up. So so let's shoot for let's shoot for twenty-five minutes, knowing we'll probably go forty-five. All yeah, right. Okay. What I want to do is so we kicked off the the wrestling with the question is the Bible anti-woman? And and we kicked it off in a very kind of internal church debate with Bonnie. And we're going to continue that debate, but I got an email this week from somebody who would listen to our Faith and Doubt podcast, and and it just kind of broke my heart. Mm -hmm. And this young lady asked that I not use her name, so I'm going to call her Jennifer, and I have to remember to call her Jennifer, so remind me. Okay. If you see me struggling with her name, it's Jennifer. Got it. All right, for the record. Jennifer. Um, But she asked that I would not use her name, so we'll call her Jennifer. And she wrote... I think just a really heartbreaking email that I wanted to spend a bit of time addressing Great. Uh, before we moved on from Faith and Doubt. So I'm just going to read uh, read uh, a bit of what she wrote. 
She said, I was born into a Christian household and grew up in a conservative Baptist church, but I have always struggled uh, with my faith as I am an, an extremely doubtful person. I listened to your podcast on faith and doubt, part one and two. I have a question regarding your statement, action based on trust, which is one of the ways we define faith. She said, what about those people that believe they have received salvation and act like a true Christian trusting in Jesus, but in reality, they are not, as it says in Matthew 7, which is a passage where Jesus talks about uh, on the last day, on the day of the Lord, many will say uh, and confess Jesus as Lord and even have done miracles in his name. But Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And so she's referring to this. She says, "Um, this is what I'm terrified of thinking that I'm a believer, but I am not. And and what it says in Revelation 22, can your name really be taken out of the book of life? Which if you're, if you're not a Bible person, there's an image in the book of Revelation of a book where names are recorded in the book of life. Those who live forever with God is kind of the idea. She continues, at one point in my life, I thought I received salvation, but it was false salvation. And then she adds a parenthesis, Uh, These were terms the kids used when I was growing up in my old church. Basically, I thought I was saved, but I'm not. I am scared that when I die, I will end up in hell. I have so many questions, but here are a couple. First, how do I know the Bible is true? Is God and Jesus a separate entity? If you were to go to heaven right now, would you see a God and a Jesus? Or are they the same person entity thing? I don't understand the Holy Trinity. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are one. I don't get it. So if I don't understand that, then how can I say I'm a believer? At times, I believe the Bible is like a Greek mythology book. There's so many great stories. It just seems like a good bedtime story, almost like a fairy tale. Example, Adam and Eve, Noah's Ark, Moses, and the Red Sea. I know this sounds crazy. Could it be possible that I'm demon-possessed, which is blocking me from receiving salvation? Um, and, uh, I remember, can you tell when someone is demon possessed? I, I remember I tried praying to, uh, to Satan to try to make a deal with him because God wasn't answering my prayers. I feel very guilty about this and so on. So huge. So, so uh, a lot of, a lot of emails that we get are topics for future podcasts. <clears throat> and that's how I respond. I'm just like, Hey, that's a great topic for a future But this one felt like I wanted to take a little time with it because, um, and again, I'm going to call her Jennifer. Um, If you're listening, Jennifer, uh, I I just feel so horrible for how you are living in this fear and worry and anxiety and would deeply desire that you encounter the real Lord Jesus and that he would set you free from this because this isn't him. Yeah. This is not him. And so, so I just want to start kind of walking through it. And, and I'm hoping there's enough relevance on the topic of faith and doubt that, you know, this will broaden beyond her specific questions to, hey, let's, let's cash out how some of this works. And so, so one of the big intramural questions that Christians wrestle with is, okay, well, can you lose the salvation that, that you have? And so, so very often the common, the common Christian story is that Jesus came, he died on the cross for your sins, that if you believe in him, he will forgive your sins, and that you will go to heaven when you die. 
And the question becomes, what does it mean to believe in him? And so very often that means praying a prayer to him, confessing that we're sinners and acknowledging that he is Lord and that we need him and receiving him for salvation. Very often that will be accompanied by like raising your hand or coming forward or some sort of something like that. And what's fascinating is that none of that is in the scriptures. These are all cultural mechanisms that we use and, and they're not bad, but, but they're not the full orb picture of what salvation is in the Bible, nor do they represent the message that Jesus himself preached. Jesus never walked around preaching, you're all sinners and God's wrath is going to come upon you, but you know, I'm, I love you. And so I'll step in the way of the angry, wrathful God so that you could go free. Jesus never framed his message like that. He framed his message in terms of something called the kingdom of God, which is the ever increasing rule and reign of God in and through his work on planet earth, reclaiming what was initially his, but has now been usurped by human and angelic rebellion and restoring ultimately everything back to the way God originally intended. That's the message of the kingdom. So when Jesus walked on the earth, his message was, listen, reconsider your life. Now that this kingdom is right next to you, it's, it's come upon you. It's right here. And now it, it's re, you know, when you, when you make a wrong turn and your GPS says recalculating, right? That's, that's what repent means. Recalculate your life now on the basis of the fact that God is doing the thing he'd been promising all along to do, but was doing it in a way that was very unexpected and required people to kind of get over their expectations in order to receive Jesus. So Jesus doesn't frame following him in the terms that you're describing. And we've used the example through faith and doubt as the example of marriage. It's a covenant. And so when you're describing, hey, I'm, I'm worried that I, I, I was saved, but it was a false salvation, and I'm not really saved because I have these doubts, all I'm hearing in this is contract language, that, that somehow you haven't jumped through the right hoops to impress Jesus enough to give you salvation. And that, and that if you doubt or have questions, you're in danger of being, um, uh, your tickets in danger of being revoked. And, and I just don't see this. I, I don't see this in Jesus at all. I see uh, the invitation of Jesus to people to recalculate their life. And to reorient their life around him, who he is and what he's done in covenantal terms. And as we've said, if you've listened to the other podcast, that's, that's very similar what marriage is. It's a pledge of life to each other. And it's a trusting of each other to keep your promise. So you're worried about whether or not you're keeping your end of the bargain. That's a contract term. Covenant term is having the confidence in the grace and mercy of Jesus that once he's got you, he's not going to let you go. That he loves you. That he wants to bless you. That he wants to free you from this fear and anxiety and this slavery that you're in. About, about have, I, have I done it the right way? Have I done it enough? The fact that you're even worried about this, I would suggest, is, is a partial fruit of a genuine repentant heart, right? I mean, the, the people that I worry about are the people that pray this dumb little prayer and then they never have anything to do with Jesus again, right? The, those are the people I'm worried about. The fact that you have questions and that you are a doubt, 
a doubtful person in your own terms. My goodness, I'm the chief of doubters, Jennifer. You need to know that. That's, that's why I study so much, because I'm, I always have questions. And, and so I just want to say, I, I, I don't know. I think it is possible to pretend that you're a Christian and really not be one. Jesus does leave that option open. But what he says is the determining factor between those who really are and those who, th- who seem uh, like they are, but they're really not, is fruit. And that your life will produce a certain kind of fruit. Now, this is where we can go back, flooding back into contract. Well, is the fruit of my life, you know, um, uh, good enough to declare that I'm saved or not? But I would go then in response back to the analogy of marriage. I don't, I don't sit and wake up and wonder if I'm in love with my wife. I, there are days I feel that more than other days. There are days that I, I like her uh, more than other days. There are days where she's totally fed up with me. But the covenant isn't affected by those waning feelings. Uh, um, the, the covenant is based on the promise of our fidelity to each other and the character of our promise to each other. And so, so to me, I want to take the focus off of you. This is all about you. This is all about whether you're screwed up or you're messed up. And I want to take the focus of you and put it on Jesus of Nazareth, about how great he is, about how well he keeps his word, particularly to people who were doubters and who were sinners and people who, you know, been worshiping false gods. I mean, oh my goodness, Jennifer, I just want to encourage you that these aren't the, these aren't the questions that Jesus is asking or that Jesus would want you to ask. Jesus would want you to ask different questions. Are you moving towards him? Do you, is your heart softening towards him? Do you see an intensity, an ever-increasing passion um, to be uh, like him and to be with him and to devote yourself to him? Um, and, and, and do you see... Uh, the fruit of that? Do you see that working itself out in real life? Now, to some of these, Andy, did that make sense? Yes. Oh, beautiful. Keep going. Wow. Andy. Keep going. I feel like, I feel like the phlegm makes me talk more slowly. That might be true. And, and slow talkers always sound smarter mm. than fast talkers. Mm. That's just a true statement. My wife, she's a slow talker. Hmm. She sounds smart. Now, let's get to your let's get to some of these specific questions. All right. So the big thing, Jennifer, is is I still think you're trying to cash this whole thing out in terms of contract. If I do X, then God has to do Y. And that's not the way it works. I pledge, so I pledge my life to Jesus. As imperfect, as screwed up, as cruddy as it is, I could give you, I mean, I literally am a way bigger sinner than you are. I I can guarantee that. But I don't wonder about whether or not I'm in relationship with Jesus in the same way that I don't wonder whether or not I'm married. I know that the orientation and intention of my heart is toward him in the same way it's toward my spouse. And because of that, I live in this ever-increasing, ever-expanding kind of relational space that has that has bumps. I mean, that I'm an idiot, and that I mistake uh, mistakenly believe certain things about God's character that aren't true. 
And um, so anyway, so so that's big point number one. Big point number two. Um, uh, I I'm scared that I will die and end up in hell. Um, this is part of the huge problem. Jesus never warned people about hell unless they were religious people. It's it's fascinating. He never went around to non Christians and said, "Repent, or you're going to fry." His conversations about hell were always to religious people. Now, you might say, well, yeah, but I am a religious person, right? So he'd be warning me. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. But when you even look at Jesus's teaching about hell, and it's very, very hard to understand, and it's hugely controversial and worthy of podcast topics about what he's actually talking about there, if it's, if it's the kind of hell that you and I have been raised up believing exists. Even when he does that, what he's 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 not using it as a fear tactic. He's using it as a, a picture of the justice of God vindicated in human history. So the last thing Jesus wants you to do, it's like, um, uh, do I am I married because I'm fearful my wife will shoot me if I didn't marry her? Mm. Right. That that's horrific. That's not love. That's not covenant. There's no way Jesus wants you to be in relation with him because you're afraid of going to hell. That's not, that's not how this whole thing works. That's not what covenant is. Now, we could spend more time on that if you want. But I want to move on to a couple of these questions. Because I, I, I think, so, so how do I know the Bible's true? And is, is God and Jesus a separate entity? And how's the Trinity work? Now, now here's the big point, Jennifer. And Andy, interrupt me if I'm rambling, okay? Please. Okay. Here's the big point. Even if I can answer those questions perfectly for you, I would I would be surprised if if uh, that would cure all of your doubts, hmm. right? If I if you had all if I could explain it, give you the perfect analogy, the perfect metaphor. My guess is you'd still have questions. My guess is you'd still wrestle. So that so that sometimes the intellectual questions we have are legit. And sometimes they're legit and they mask something much deeper. And my guess for you is that they're legit and they mask something much deeper. Like when you when you say, I, I remember I tried praying to Satan to make a deal with him because God wasn't answering my prayers. That That is believing a lie about who God is and what God's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I'm thinking that's more the root of the problem than it is me answering all of the specific questions, but I'll give you, I'll give you just some clues um, because here's what I want to demonstrate, Jennifer. I want to demonstrate, first of all, it's not wrong to doubt. Secondly, there are answers to some of our doubts or or, or maybe the better word is the the word clue. There's clues Um, and and that doubting in and of itself, as we've tried to to make clear, isn't, isn't the opposite of faith. It's, it can be an expression of faith. So how do I know the Bible is true? And you said, I know this sounds crazy, but it's, it, uh, I believe the Bible's like Greek mythology. It's like fairy tales. Well, I, I, you're not alone in that, <laughs> even remotely. And and so I, I get that. I mean, I, I'm friends with people that really love Jesus and think the whole Adam and Eve story is crazy and the talking snake thing and the, the Jonah and the whale thing. I mean, I, I understand that. The, the, for me, the reason I believe in the Bible isn't because I find the Bible compelling. It isn't because I find the Bible perfect. It isn't because 
I have some airtight argument that the Bible is the only inspired book out there. The reason I believe in the Bible is because I believe in Jesus of Nazareth. And that Jesus looked at the three portions, the law, the prophets, and the writings of the old, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. He looked at them as inspired and authoritative in some way. And that there were oral stories that were circulating about Jesus uh, that, that were reliable and trustworthy. And that there were churches now born out of spirit-filled men and women who were ambassadors of the message of this Jesus that were born out of the message and the movement of this kingdom that, that began to collect together authoritative writings in the same way they had authoritative writings in the Hebrew scriptures. And so for me, <clears throat> I believe that we can use the, the Gospels, uh, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four accounts of Jesus. And, and I think we can make a really good case that these things are historically reliable in, in uh, a, lot of, uh, of, a lot of what they say. And if that's true, that they, <clears throat> pardon me, that they give us information about Jesus, then the Jesus that I find described there is unbelievably compelling. I don't want to be like that guy. I want to be with that guy. And, and now, as I enter into covenant relationship with this Jesus, um, I now open myself up to the range of the scriptures and, and say, okay, well, if I do believe there's a real God, and if I do believe that Jesus is the, the most complete expression, most complete picture of this invisible God, then I'm very much open to that, that this God could perform the miracles described. I get how they feel fairy tale-ish, no question. And one of the podcasts I was trying to make the point, listen, your faith doesn't rest on whether or not Adam and Eve are real people. Your faith rests on whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, that's right. that's the core of the thing. So set those questions aside. Those aren't as important. The big question is, if I if I were you, Jennifer, I would just encourage you to immerse yourself in the in the records about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, as I've entered into the world of the scripture, I find that it describes my perceptions of the world accurately in the following respects. It does seem that the world is good and it does seem that it is fallen. I, I, find, I find the darkness in myself and others. I find, I find that there's a longing in my heart for justice, because I, I, I somehow instinctively know it shouldn't be like this. I, I find something so profound in beauty and um, in the arts. I, there's just there, there are these soulish things that call out to me, freedom, rationality, intentionality, consciousness, that don't seem at home in an atheistic, naturalistic universe. And so I, I, I think I have good independent grounds for believing in some sort of deity, I think I have I have I have decent grounds to believe that Jesus of Nazareth was real and that the records we have are accurate. And because of that, then I enter into the world of the scriptures. And that doesn't mean I turn my brain off, but it means I'm asking those questions now from inside the relationship, not outside. So take the example of the Trinity that you raise. And you say something here, Jennifer. You say, um, uh, I don't get the Trinity. So if I don't understand that, how can I say I'm a believer? Oh my goodness. Listen, if you find anyone who thinks they understand the Trinity, 
flee. They're they're lying. <laughs> right. <laughs> they're lying. Listen, no one would cook this thing up. It, it's because in the New Testament, there are three kinds of texts that force us into some sort of idea like the Trinity. You you have texts throughout the Bible and the and the New Testament that simply say there's one God. There's not many gods. There there are not like big gods and little gods. There's one God, and that's it. So you have you you have those kind of texts. Then you have texts that speak of God the Father, and then Jesus as divine, and then the Holy Spirit as divine. All right. Mm-hmm. So you have texts that say there's one God. Then you have texts that say that that God is God, Jesus is God, and the Spirit is God. Right now, if that's all we had, well, then that would be easy, right? You just say, okay, well, in the Old Testament, you know, God came to us as God the Father, and in the New Testament, He came to us as as uh, Jesus, and and now in the in the age of the kingdom, He comes to us as God the Spirit. But we're not let off the hook that easily, because there's a third. <laughs> Uh, selection of texts that have the Father, Son, and Spirit all interacting simultaneously. So you've got the baptism of Jesus, where there's this voice from heaven, Jesus being baptized and the Spirit descending on Jesus. And you're going, oh my goodness. And then Paul begins to adapt the the most um, ancient Jewish declaration of faith called the Shema, that there's only one God. Uh, he adapts that now to include Jesus as Lord. And, and, and you see all of these, these titles that were used of Yahweh in the Old Testament, now used of Yahweh and Jesus. And then, and then you have in Revelation, you have the picture of two thrones, the one who sits on the throne and then the lamb. Now that's all highly biblical, symbolic language that refers to there's God the Father and there's God the Son. They're both God. So there's only one God essence, Mm -hmm. but it's shared by three persons. In the same way that there's one human essence, it's shared by billions. But even that's not a perfect analogy. Mm -hmm. So, So all of that, if you're still sitting here thinking, well, that doesn't clear it up. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, and what I was going to say, which takes us back to the Faith and Doubt episode, let's say that we can, to an extent, understand it. To have an articulation, to have a theological depth to it, let's say... Okay, I, I'm a scholar reading this. Even if you intellectually understood God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, wouldn't make you a believer either. Right. And like we said in Faith That's and Doubt, a, ooh, good. You Andy, know, like we said in Faith and Doubt, you just earned your paycheck, boy. <laughs> like we said wow. in Faith and Doubt, faith is not intellectual certainty. But so it's like that. That right there. Boom. So yeah, Eva Jennifer, if you if you could articulate this and understand it, it doesn't mean that you've entered into covenant promise with this Jesus. Oh, that's so good, Andy. But my point in my going into that was just to say, listen, I have those questions. I share those same like wonderings, and um, and, and so I don't think I don't think the um, the fact that you have. Uh, doubts or or questions i don't i just don't think that is blocking salvation in your words now this whole i prayed to satan now that that raises some interesting questions and and first of all god is bigger <laughs> and and so none of none of those things sort of find you and and i can, i don't want to get into demonology right now in this podcast i want to kind of keep it short and sweet 
Um, but, but I don't think you have to feel guilty about that. I just think you have to be aware that when you, when you, when you enter into the world of the scriptures, there, there are angelic beings that as much as our modern enlightenment rationalistic world would love to deny, I've just had too much experience personally. And I just see it all over the ministry of Jesus that there is an adversary that is real and that does evil in the world. And the the greatest trick of the adversary will be that you will look at God and credit God with the things that the adversary does. So whenever I hear people say, yeah, yeah, so God was behind this, you know, it was, it was for his glory that someone got murdered or raped or I just go, nah, I think there's something else going on. So for you, the fact that your dissatisfaction with God not answering a prayer would lead you to this other space. I think that's a, I think that's a much deeper issue than whether or not you prayed to Satan and, you know, uh, did that, does that mean you're demon possessed? I mean, uh, my goodness, I, such bigger questions than I, I would even know to answer. But I suspect that the deeper issue resides simply in this, that that God, uh, you feel like God was holding out on you, that somehow God wasn't pleased with you, that somehow you've disqualified yourself from his love and his grace and his covenant promise, and that you were desperate to do anything, uh, to hear his voice or to get what you wanted. And I think we've all been in similar places, um, but but to me, the battle isn't over whether or not you pray to Satan. The battle is over, do you see Jesus as beautiful or not? Mm-hmm. And I can't convince you of that. That's something uh, that if, if you're at all helped by any bit of what we've just said, um, pick up pick up the book of Luke and and just start reading it and have put a notebook next to your next to your Bible. And, and write down all the questions you've got, right? And Because you'll have tons. Great. No problem. But, but don't let those sidetrack you. Just immersing yourself in the stories that Jesus tells. And, and ask yourself how he talks about faith. How he talks about salvation. Does he talk about it in the way that you heard it in a very young age? Does he talk about it in the contractual terms you're still struggling with? And, and, and my, my suspicion for, for those of you eavesdropping on our conversation, is that, is that we've got some folks who, who wrestle with these sorts of things too. Because, because I do think the deepest woundedness that, that our adversary has brought about has been to see Jesus as ugly, and Jesus as narrow, Jesus as intolerant. And, and that's where um, we, we really do want to and I know this isn't technically right. We want to make him beautiful. He's beautiful. He doesn't need us. I got that. But I also realize we've done so much to tarnish his name that that I want to be a part of the movement that helps untarnish it. You know what I mean? And and certainly that'll never be done perfectly because I'm part of the problem. But part of why we do the podcast, part of why we're 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 trying to build a community is to make a a place for people like Jennifer to come in and go, you know, I have these massive earthquaking questions and I just need someone to talk to about it. And so I love that you would email us and I hope this has been helpful. I I thought it would also serve as kind of a a good exclamation point for the whole faith in doubt convo while we move in. Andy, did you have anything you wanted to add? Um, 
Oh, I did yes. just have something. You've already chimed in I've so already... beautifully. <laughs> I know. I think maybe I'll just I'll just tap out on that. Yes, that was so good. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. So good. <laughs> All right. So how 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 long are we, Andy? Thirty-two minutes. Oh my good. We'll see. We're going to end it now. Let's just call it. And we'll see. Let's and, call and, it. And somebody may say, I, w- I need more. Good. And then I'll, I'll introduce them to my other friend that said we're good at half an hour. Right. So I don't know. We'll bring you more. We'll see what happens. Okay. So um, so Jennifer, uh, we want to bless you in just a moment. Uh, as always, we, we love uh, your questions, your emails, your feedback. Um, we're, we're excited to hear from, from those in Tanzania and Zimbabwe and North Carolina, and uh, where was the where was another one? Thousand Oaks. Thousand Oaks, which is in California. Mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of qualifies. Yeah. But but what's been so fun is um, that there are many of you that actually want to do this around your your homes. That you just want to open up your home to have these sorts of conversations. And, and let me just say, our dream, our dream more than any other dream is that um, we'd be a community where you could talk about anything with anybody at any time um, and that we would be people who uh, lead with grace and can speak truth. Uh, but more than anything, the, the idea of table fellowship, that Jesus would eat a meal with us and extend acceptance and kinship and that, and that, that, that we would begin to embody that in pockets all around that gets me fired up. Yeah, me too. Because um, I too many good things happen around dinner. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. So, um, so we bless you. We're just so thankful for you all. It, it has been such a great privilege to do this. So, uh, I want to bless you and uh, Facebook, Twitter, of course, uh, Vox OC um, is is where you find us now. Subversive Kingdom. We're going to collapse into Vox OC at some point mm-hmm. when Andy when Andy gets off his lazy butt and. Uh, <laughs> Because he's not doing anything else. Um, so so may the Lord bless you wherever you are, right now, wherever you are. Unless you're driving, uh, close your eyes and receive this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And may he give you peace. Amen. Amen. Until next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Vox, the Mike Geary podcast. Be sure to like Mike on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash official Mike Geary. Follow Mike on Twitter and Periscope at Mike Geary for live interaction and ongoing Q&A. Don't forget to visit subversivekingdom.com for further engagement and information about Mike.